See, y'all, it's always fun and a little bit humbling when God uh, invites me, we'll say, to practice what I preach in real time. (laughs) See, y'all, this morning I had a morning, and it started at 2 a.m. So by now I've had a day, really. Um, I have felt scattered ever since I woke up this morning. One thing after another, just not working quite right. Y'all know what that's like. Then I was trying to print out my sermon, and it came out this big. (laughs) So I was having just a little bit of a panic attack. And then on my way to church, 30 minutes later than I had intended to be, there's this beautiful beautiful horizon in front of me. It was gorgeous. Brought me right back into the presence of God, into a moment of gratitude, like Kurt is referring to. So, spoiler alert, the bottom line of this sermon today is twofold. It is trust in the goodness and the love of God and be present in this moment because it's in the present moment where we most fully experience God. So, to that end, let us enter into the presence of God and pray. Gather us into your presence, O God, that we might know your goodness and experience your love deeply. And hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Here now a reading from Ecclesiastes. The same fate comes to all to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. This is an evil in all that happens under the sun, that the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the hearts of all are full of evil, Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But whoever is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, Never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. Go, eat your bread with enjoyment and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that are given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, we think. I was talking to a church member earlier this week about just how difficult and stressful navigating the last two years has been for most everybody as we continue to figure out how best to take care of ourselves and each other. 
She exclaimed to me, I didn't even bother to make any New Year's resolutions this year. It was a comment on her sense that it's just futile to try and plan for the future right now in the context of a pandemic. And it is frustrating. I didn't make any New Year's resolutions either. Pandemic aside, I've actually come to realize that they're not all that good for my mental health. I'm a perfectionist. So there have been years when my New Year's resolutions were so exhaustive that I spent the majority of my time, at least until I stopped trying to accomplish those goals, just trying to track my progress. One year, I mapped out my entire life on a calendar, including uh, resolutions and time set aside for health and fitness, work, marriage, parenting, housekeeping, finances, ministry, the whole nine yards became so burdensome. Mostly that calendar became an indictment of my limitations. I mean, because life and ministry, it would happen as it does and completely disrupt my meticulously laid out plans. So I constantly felt like I was falling short. So as we transition from the old year to the new year, many of us often take stock, and that's not a bad thing. We reflect on the year just past, look forward to the coming year. We try to set intentions for ourselves because we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to become our best selves. We want to clarify our purpose and find meaning and fulfillment in life. But too often, we either completely abandon our resolutions or they fail to live up to the hope that we had in their ability to provide purpose and meaning and personal transformation. So today, we begin a new worship series. It's a new year, now what? And as Kurt mentioned in the children's sermon, we are mining a lesser known book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes for wisdom about the meaning and purpose of life, which given what we just read may seem very counterintuitive given the stance of its author. They are clearly highly skeptical struggling to grasp life's purpose. Ecclesiastes, the word Ecclesiastes in Hebrew is Kohelet, and it means teacher or preacher. It's someone who speaks in the public assembly. Well, in this case, the teacher purports to be King Solomon, though he almost certainly is not. King Solomon lived and ruled in the 10th century BCE. Most scholars, however, hold that the book of Ecclesiastes was likely written in the 4th or 5th century BCE because of the author's vocabulary. They use Persian and Aramaic words that either wouldn't have been known or weren't used very widely prior to the 5th century. And when the, when the Israelites came back from exile in Babylon, and they don't they also, the writer also does not use certain Greek words, which would have only been introduced during the Hellenistic period, which didn't begin until the late 4th century BCE. Still, the author writes from the perspective of someone who has seen and done and knows it all. King Solomon was the consummate sage and gatherer of wealth and wisdom. And the conclusion the writer comes to, in light of their seemingly exhaustive life experience, 
is that all of life is vanity. The teacher begins the book of Ecclesiastes with these words. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? Bit of a Debbie Downer, if you ask me. The word translated as vanity in Hebrew is hebel, and it literally translate, translates as breath or vapor, and it's best understood as fleeting. A couple of times in Ecclesiastes, the author elaborates and says, all is vanity and a chasing after wind. Hebel is a metaphor for things that cannot be grasped, either physically or intellectually, things that are ephemeral or insubstantial, enigmatic, even absurd. When Ecclesiastes says everything is vanity, what he means on a deep level is it's fleeting, it's beyond our comprehension, we can't possibly grasp it. In today's passage, Kohelet says, all the days of life are vain, as evidenced by the fact that no matter what we do, we will all come to the same end. It doesn't matter if you're righteous or wicked, clean or unclean, good or evil, fit or unfit, rich or poor, successful or a miserable failure. In the end, we all die. And in light of our persistent toil, in light of our best efforts, our attempts to grow and learn and be our best selves, we wonder, along with the author of the book, where is the justice in all of that? How is that fair? It's a good question, one that I imagine we've all asked at some point along the line. It seemed particularly unjust given the prevailing notion of the afterlife at the time that this book was written. It was not inspiring. It was believed that upon death you descended to Sheol, the abode of the dead. Sheol is not the Hades of Hellenistic thought or the hell of uh, later Judaism or Christianity. Sheol is not the antithesis of heaven. The traditional view at the time was that Sheol was a place from which no one exits, from which no prayers arise, and beyond which there is any further hope. Luckily, our understanding of the afterlife has evolved, <laughs> uh, and we believe and we hope in the promise of resurrected life lived eternally in the presence of God as gifted to us through Jesus Christ. Kohelet, given his understanding of the afterlife, concludes that given the end we will all meet, it's best to live fully and joyfully now, remembering that life is rich and, yes, fleeting. So, eat, drink, and be merry, he says, for God has long ago approved what you do. Live in the moment. Seize the day. Seems wise. Regardless of your understanding of the afterlife, it's not bad advice. Now, this doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. What the author is getting at when the author says that God has long ago approved what you do 
He's getting at the fact that God created all of human life and declared it good from the very beginning. Y'all remember the story of creation in Genesis where you hear over and over and over again, it was good, it was good, it was good, and then God created humans and it was very good. God wills that human beings take legitimate pleasure in life, in being alive. The most famous passage in Ecclesiastes is at the beginning of chapter three. I bet you'll recognize these words. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And it goes on this way until Kohelet finally makes this observation in verse 11. I think this is the most evocative statement in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It says, God has made everything fitting in its time, but has also placed eternity in their hearts without enabling them to discover what God has done from beginning to end. God has placed eternity in our hearts. I love that. Even though our lives are finite, we have this notion and can have an experience of the eternal. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, Uncle Screwtape, who's also known as Satan, is talking to his nephew, who is a demon in training. And he's talking to him about who God is and how God relates to humanity. And this is what he says. The humans live in time. But our enemy, and by that, screw tape is referring to God, destines them to eternity. God, therefore, I believe, says screw tape, wants them to attend chiefly to two things to eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience analogous to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered them. God would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with God, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from God, or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. The present is the point at which time touches eternity. I think Ecclesiastes and C.S. Lewis have it all figured out. Everything in the grand scheme of things 
is hevel, vapor, fleeting. Our lives are lived in the context of linear time, but the one who holds all time, the eternal one, can only be experienced in the present moment. And the, attorney, the eternal one is certainly not fleeting. Yes, every living creature, regardless of how they've lived their lives, comes to the same end, and that seems infinitely unfair, unjust. And every single one of us has this moment, the present, the point at which time touches eternity, where the eternal one dwells, where we share life with God, where we can discern the present voice of conscience, the present cross, the present grace, the present pleasure and live fully into that moment, into that reality, maybe even ushering that in, maybe even drawing others toward that reality, that we might all experience more of God's goodness and grace and justice and love. We're not to worry about the future or worry about the fate of others or even ourselves. We're not to worry about death, but we are to live fully, joyfully in God's purpose, receiving and sharing the gift given to us by the Eternal One, the One who created us and all of life and called it good, the One who created us and loves us and claims us never letting us go. My very favorite reference to Sheol in the Bible occurs in my favorite psalm. It expresses a later and much more inspired, I think, notion of the afterlife. It's in Psalm 139, where the psalmist affirms that we cannot escape God, even despite our best efforts. Verses 7 and 8 say this, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Our search for meaning and purpose and justice in this life often seem futile. But when we remember who it is that created it all, and that they created it explicitly good, and we remain mindful of the ever-presence of that one, God, we touch eternity. And it is in the eternal one that all things are made whole, that all things are redeemed, that all things are restored, that all of creation has true life, eternal life, steeped in meaning and purpose. Today, as I mentioned before, is the, bapti the baptism of our Lord Sunday. It's the day that we remember Jesus' baptism. We remember that in Jesus' baptism, when he came up out of the waters and the heavens parted and the voice of God descended along with a dove of peace, that what was heard 
was that God named Jesus, God claimed him, and God declared him deeply beloved. So on this day, we will remember and we will reaffirm our own baptisms, remembering, maybe even resolving, to live firmly and fully with joy in the faith that we have that God is good and we too are beloved. Thanks be to God. Amen.